Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. You may have noticed a theme in the songs this morning. The songs are the words of a child talking to their father. Childlike phrases reminding their heart and mind that God is a good father and that they are loved. In Galatians 4, which we'll look at over the next four weeks, we're going to see who we are. We're going to learn who God says we are. And what we're doing is spending time in Galatians 4, because since 2020, we began uh, looking with a fine-tooth comb at Galatians, one chapter per summer. And so in 2020, we did chapter 1, and then 2, and then 3, and now we're in chapter 4. Our series for this summer on Galatians 4 is called Children of Promise. After these four messages in Galatians 4, we'll go back to our Psalms series, which will carry us until Labor Day. And so that's where we're at. So today we begin with a question. Who are you? Who are you? Who do you say you are? Do you know? Well, we'll find out. Before I read our text, which is on the back of your bulletin, if you need it, it's Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Let me pray. And as I pray, why don't you take a moment and ask God who he thinks you are and tell him what you think of him. Take this time in a moment of prayer. Let's pray. Father, you're a good, good father. Sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes it's easy to believe. You say that we are loved. Sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes it's easy to believe. Lord, you know what our hearts and minds are thinking this morning. You know how we feel. And you know how you feel. You are good and you love us. Because we're your children. So give us childlike hearts this morning to believe and receive your love and to respond like children who love their dad. You're a good, good father. Thank you now, Lord, that as we open your word, you've prepared this meal for our hearts all week. Nourish your sons and daughters with it. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Galatians 4. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. This is the good and glorious word of our good, good father. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Who are you? Who do you say you are? When someone says, who are you? What is the first thought that comes to mind? Your primary identity in this world. What is most important about you? Really, what's your answer? Don't all shout it out. But how do you answer that question? Who are you? Your answer to that question changes everything in your life. Once you know who you are, that affects what you'll want to do, who you will want to spend time with, how you will view victory and failure in this life, why you get out of bed in the morning, if you get out of bed in the morning, whether or not you will care about your neighbors or care for the poor or forgive those who wrong you, Or withhold forgiveness from those who wrong you? And the answer to that question will even affect how you view your own death one day. Everything in your life is affected dramatically by the answer to the question, who are you? In fact, if you really take some time to think about that question, and you really gave a thoughtful answer, and you presented that answer to us, we would know who your God is. We would know what you think really really matters. What is your identity? Who are you? If you have a good and healthy answer to that question, there will be good and healthy fruit in your life. But if you have a disastrous self-centered answer to that question, you will have disastrous self-centered fruit in your life. It's that important. And Christianity tells us that we are born with an answer to that question. We are born into a broken world full of sin, ravaged by brokenness, and we are born slaves to sin. But in Jesus Christ, for all who call on his name, all who repent and turn to him, for everyone who believes in Jesus, we get a new answer to that question. We are no longer slaves. It's that important in our lives. So look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave. Stop there. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Spiritual slavery. Spiritual slavery. And we've got three questions about spiritual slavery that we'll ask. First, what is it? Second, how do we get out of it? And third, What is the new life like? So we're talking about spiritual slavery. Our text answers three questions. What is it? How do we get out of it? And what is this new life like? Question number one. Spiritual slavery, what is it? 
Well, actually, for the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he mentions two types of spiritual slavery. There's slavery to the law and slavery to sin. Slavery to the law, let's handle that one first and briefly. It's a historical reality. The whole world was enslaved to the law until Jesus showed up. This is how Paul describes the progress of God's revelation to his people. They had the law. They had the law. There wasn't a savior yet who came. In the law, it told them to offer sacrifices, but the final sacrifice had not been offered yet. So the whole world, until Jesus came, was enslaved, in a sense, to the law. But the law wasn't some nasty slave master. Rather, the law was a temporary guardian until the time Jesus came. A caretaking guardian of all people in the world until Jesus came. And so if you have your Bible, you can peek back at Galatians 3 because Paul keeps all of his thoughts together. In Galatians 3 verse 24, Paul says this. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. A guardian, a caretaker, a a babysitter in a sense. And then at the end of verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Why? In order that we might be justified by faith. Justified means made right with God. The law, which we were as a world enslaved to until Jesus came, it was a caretaker to point our hearts to the need to be made right with God. It was a caretaker in order that we might be justified by a savior one day. So the goal of the law was to get people justified and made right with God. But the law was not how you got right with God. The law showed you that you needed to put your faith and trust in God because you and I broke the law. Isn't it interesting? God saw fit to introduce his law into the world so that people would be justified by faith. He wanted the world to know that to be right in his sight was not related to whether or not you had followed the law perfectly, but rather whether or not you trusted in his offer of forgiveness and salvation. Faith alone was the point of the law. And so why does God give us laws instead of just telling us the gospel of grace? Well, at first glance, it seems strange. If I wanted my kids to know that my love for them was not based on my rules and I gave them 600 rules, at first they might say, what is going on here? And sometimes they feel that six rules are way too many. Throughout history, theologians have determined that there are three uses of God's law. What was the purpose of the law? Paul's mentioning the world was enslaved to the law. Well, it's a mirror, a restraint, and a guide. Briefly, a mirror, because in God's law, we see how holy God is and how sinful we are. How holy and beautiful God is and how far we fall short of his glory. So it's a mirror. But it's also a restraint that helps people know what not to do. Imagine a world without any of the Ten Commandments. Imagine a country where murder was not wrong, or where theft was not wrong, or where envying and coveting was not frowned upon. And you could just envy everything your neighbor had, and then you could go take everything your neighbor had. Imagine a world without that. So God's law functions as a restraint, and thank the Lord that some of his laws are still the laws in our country. But finally, it was a guide. The law is a guide for God's people to know how to live lives that please God. We should look into God's law 
and not say, I can do this. When we look into God's law, we should say, I can't do this. Lord, save me. That is the purpose of the law. Three functions and a purpose. We should look into God's law and say, wow, I need a savior because sometimes I covet what other people have. I do. And when I covet, I see the law, thou shalt not covet. And I realize, wow, I need a savior. I need forgiveness for that. Back in Galatians 3, verse 24, one more time. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law shows us that we needed a savior. And the law functions as restraint to keep us safe from harm, to keep civil society livable instead of a place of anarchy. And everyone can agree when there are really good laws, that helps society. But sometimes laws are goofy. Do you know any goofy laws? Do you know any laws where you go, come on, there were people in a room and they voted on that? Are you serious? Consider these laws from Pennsylvania. PA code 3800.257. It's not on the test. This is the code for bedrooms. The law is, this is a law in Pennsylvania. A child's bedroom may not be more than 200 feet from a bathtub or shower and a toilet. That's a good law. That's a good one. That's a good one. It shouldn't be more than 200 feet from one of those things. And then there's PA code 7104 on fortune telling. I am not making this up. It is a third degree misdemeanor if someone, quote, advises the taking or administering of what are commonly called love powders or potions. Or prepares the same to be taken or administered, unquote. Okay, are you giving out love potions? Are, are you planning on it? Some, are some of you trying to give out love potions? Stop it. It's against the law. Some laws are goofy. God's law, according to Paul, according to the Bible, is beautiful, helpful, necessary. His laws are society-building, harm-preventing, love-ensuring, and the most important piece, gospel-prompting. The law of God builds societies and shows the world that we need a Savior. So for Paul, the first spiritual slavery is spiritual slavery to the law, which was the guardian of the world until Christ came. And it is a beautiful thing. God's law is beautiful and useful and points to our need for a savior. But the second slavery is the theme of the book of Galatians. It's all over the book of Galatians. And it's especially going to focus in this summer as we look at Galatians 4. And it's spiritual slavery to sin. A lot of the songs we sang this morning were speaking of that spiritual slavery to sin and how we have been set free. So let's take more time and look at that. Spiritual slavery to sin. Verse 3 in our text. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Stop there. What are the elementary principles of the world? Paul could be hinting at the law. And there are certainly people who love God's law and deny the gospel. Maybe you've met some folks like that. Thinking you are saved by the law is actually a denial of the gospel. And Paul addresses that earlier in Galatians. 
But I think what he's getting at here in verse 3 is slavery to sin, spiritual slavery to sin, because he is going to use this same phrase later in our sermon text for next week in verse 9. So the slavery, the primary slavery that Paul wants us to know we've been set free from is slavery to sin, and here's what it is. What is it? What is slavery to sin? It's being controlled by your desires no matter what they say. That is spiritual slavery to sin. Being controlled by your desires no matter what your desires say. Letting those desires control you. It's being true to yourself even if yourself is harming yourself. That is spiritual slavery. It's giving in to every thought and every desire. It's a child in a candy store. Can I have that and can I eat it? And I want that and I want to eat it. And I want that and I want to eat it. And I want that and I want to eat it. That's not freedom. That's dangerous. And that's slavery. Let me say it another way. It's not freedom to drink alcohol until you pass out and need to be taken to the hospital. But in the movies, they make that look like freedom. That's slavery. Not only is it slavery for you when you do that, it's slavery for your loved ones when they watch you do that. It's not freedom to scroll through Instagram or play Xbox from 9 p.m. until 4 in the morning when you collapse from exhaustion Although everyone says, I'm free, I'm free, that's freedom. That's not freedom, it's slavery. And the world calls it addiction, but Paul says it's slavery to sin. Giving in to every desire, having no self-control, living a life that destroys you and harms your loved ones is spiritual slavery. It's a life controlled by sins, And not controlled by God's beautiful design for your life. I'll say that again. Question one, what is spiritual slavery? Here's the answer. It's a life controlled by sins and not by God's beautiful design for your life. And Jesus came to set us free from that. So that's question one. Question two, how do we get out of it? Look at verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So when the fullness of time came, it means two things. When the fullness of time came in human history, the world was enslaved to the law until the time Jesus came. God's perfect timing. But you and me individually, born into this sinful world, born into sinful natures, are enslaved to our sin until God's timing for us when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and we are set free from slavery to sin. And that time, look at it, when the fullness of time had come, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It is not when you become good enough that you get adopted. It is not when you look beautiful and attractive enough when you become adopted. God does not look at this world and say, I'm picking the 1,000 best people right now to adopt into my family. I only want the best. I only want the brightest. I only want 
want the most successful. That's how the world picks people, but that is not how God adopts people. He sees us stuck as slaves in our sin and he says, you are mine. I want you to know how much I love you. I sent my son to die in your place so that you could be a son or daughter in my family. It is not when you became good enough. It is when the fullness of time had come when God sent his son for you. That moment you believe in Jesus, you repent of your sins, you turn to him for salvation, you are adopted And you're not adopted because of how beautiful you are. You were adopted by God so he could make you beautiful in his sight. Slaves could not free themselves. People go to war to set slaves free. And Jesus went to war to set us free, didn't he? Look at verse 5. Jesus went to war to set slaves free. Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So faith in Jesus changes your status. It changes the answer to that question, who are you? Faith in Jesus changes everything because the answer to that question changes everything. We go, according to Paul in Galatians 4, from slaves to adopted children, from slaves to sons and daughters, from slaves to to heirs who will get the inheritance from slaves to free people. As we sang, who the son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Slaves don't sing songs like that. Free people sing songs like that. Children of God sing songs like that. And why is it made possible? Look at verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, not when you earned it, not when you were good enough, but when God's timing arrived, we continue. God sent forth his son, the son of God, Jesus, fully God. We broke the world, so God had to come fix it himself in the second person of the Trinity, the son of God. We needed someone who was fully God to fix it because we couldn't fix it. But we continue, born of woman, born under the law. We also needed a human to die in our place. So Jesus had to be fully human. Not only that, we needed someone who had perfectly obeyed the whole law so we would have a perfect sacrifice stand in our place. So Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, so he could be fully human and perfect the law and defeat the wages of sin, which is death, which he did for us. We needed someone fully God, fully man, who lived a perfect life. There was one and one only, Jesus Christ. And he did all of that so he could do verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. Stop there. Redemption is the purchase of someone out of slavery. He bought us. He paid for us. He claimed us. He chose us. Now look at the end of verse 5. So that we might receive Adoption as sons. What a beautiful truth. By faith, we are sons and daughters of the king. That's who you are. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? A future king or queen, a prince or a princess, a royal son or daughter. It says adoption as sons. 
All of God's people are sons and daughters, but the word sons is actually really important here at the end of verse 5. Because the word sons has to do in the Roman world with inheritance. If you peek back at verses 1 through 3, Paul was using an analogy about the sons of very wealthy Roman families. They were heirs of a future huge inheritance and the sons got that inheritance. But they had to wait until they grew up. They had to wait until God's perfect timing to get the inheritance. And Paul says just like that, you, sons and daughters, men and women of faith, you get the inheritance in Jesus Christ. You get the whole inheritance of the firstborn son. The world was waiting for an answer. How do we get out of spiritual slavery to sin? Well, God sent his son, fully God, fully man, obeyed the law of God perfectly so that you and I could be set free from spiritual slavery. So how do we get out of it? Faith in Jesus Christ. Third and finally, What is the new life like? So we've been set free. What is the new life like? Look at verse 7 now. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So that's who you are. You're an heir. That means the inheritance is yours. That means Everything Jesus earned in his perfect life and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father as the King of glory is yours too. It's in your account. It's blessings in this life now. The fruit of the Spirit, a relationship with God, the ability to overcome sin in our lives. And it's the eternal blessing of God in the age to come. Eternal life. But verse 6 shows us the implication for right now. What difference does it make this week if you are a child of God? What difference is it going to make this week? Well, look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The privilege and permission for you to sing all those worship songs we sang today. The language of a child to dad. Abba, Father, Dad, I love you. Thanks for loving me. It's the privilege and permission to cry out to the perfect Heavenly Father who loved us so much he sent his Son for us. It's that privilege. We get the Holy Spirit. We can call God our Father. And calling God your Father seems astonishing, right? It's pretty bold, right? Picture some guys at the gym and they're talking about their dad. What does your dad do? Well, my dad's a lawyer. Oh, okay. What does your dad do? Well, my dad, he's a doctor. Oh, okay. Cool. What does your dad do? My dad created the universe. And he made you. That's bold, That is the basic, smallest amount of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. That is the appetizer that our Heavenly Father calls us sons and daughters, that we are loved, that we have eternal life, that all of the blessings Jesus has earned are ours. That is the entranceway into the beautiful inheritance. 
That is not some bold claim. That is our basic identity. I'm a child of God. I have a relationship with my creator. It is a better identity than you can find anywhere else in this world. Who are you? I'm a child of God. That is the most powerful identity any human being could ever have. Jesus teaches us this when he tells us how to pray. Pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts out by saying, call God, creator, king, judge. Call him dad. That's what Jesus teaches us. An intimacy with our creator. We can know our maker, know our designer. He fearfully and wonderfully made us and we can know him. When Jesus walks around, he says to his disciples, you're my brothers. He calls us his brothers and sisters, his family. And he puts us in smaller families of God, like this church right here. We sang this too. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Look around this room. You're in God's house with God's family. Brothers and sisters in God's family. I didn't see anybody look around the room. Look around the room at God's family. Yes, I know you don't like all your brothers and sisters in the real world. And sometimes, right? Look at what God did here. He has given us a true family. And we will be with each other forever because of the inheritance we share by faith in Jesus Christ. And in the new heavens and the new earth, I have good news for you. In the new heavens and the new earth, I will be a lot less annoying. And so will you. (laughs) Hypothetically. And I won't sin anymore. And neither will you. Can you imagine a month without suffering, without envy, without Bitterness, without pain, without jealousy, without lust, without sinful temptations that destroy you and tempt you. Can you imagine a day without that? That future is ours. And here at a church, God gives us this small family so we can long for that future perfect family in the new heavens and the new earth, which lasts a whole longer than this life and is way better than this life because now we know we are no longer slaves, but we still give in sometimes. We still fail. We still sin, even though we've been set free. But in the age to come, We will know what true freedom from slavery is like. And it will last forever. So who are you? What is your identity? Paul says that we are no longer slaves. And that changes everything. As I said at the front, it changes everything. Are you a slave to sin and your own heart and your own desires and who you think you are? Or are you adopted, set free, As a child of God. Well, Jesus gave his life so that you could be set free. Your answer to that question, who are you, changes everything in your life. And even how you will face your own death one day. 
So what does it mean for this week? It means you have a relationship with God that you didn't earn, but that he purchased for you. You have an inheritance now and a future forever perfect new heavens and new earth to look forward to. And you can call your creator dad, Abba, Father, and he will be there and he will love you and he will listen and you can keep talking and complaining and whining and crying and he will never get tired of time with you. And you can do that today and tomorrow and the next day. All of that is true. But it also means that when you approach your final day, your identity as a child of God will affect your death. It will change your funeral. And so I want to end by considering that thought. Because on Tuesday night, our sister, Lois Glastetter, was brought home to be with her Lord. A daughter of God finished her race. Yesterday was the funeral. She had strong faith. She had true hope. And even though she knew she was going to die, she knew where her identity was. She knew she was a child of God. She knew that Jesus bought her the greatest inheritance anyone could ever inherit. And she knew that part of her inheritance was that everything Jesus earned would be hers. And Jesus, because he was born fully God and born of a woman and born under the law because he lived a perfect life. He defeated the wages of sin. And so on Easter morning, his tomb was empty. And that is his inheritance for us. Our graves will not have us forever. And so Lois knew that death was not going to kill her because she was a child of God. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, one slavery, and the power of sin is the law, the other slavery. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Adoption into God's family even takes away the fear of death. Lois wasn't a slave to sin or a slave to fear or a slave to death. She was free and now she is perfectly free. And as we said, she loved to garden. But in this world, there are weeds. In the new heavens and the new earth, she's not going to know what to do in those gardens. Because it's just going to be fruitful and beautiful forever forwards because of the inheritance purchased for her and for her brothers and sisters in her church family by Jesus Christ. We will be with her forever, with our Heavenly Father, with our Abba Father. Because we've been adopted and we are no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters of God. So friends, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you been set free from slavery to sin? If you place your trust in Jesus Christ, if you haven't, do it today. Find a new, more powerful identity than any you could find anywhere else and you will be. No longer a slave, but a child of God. Let me pray. Father, this news 
is almost too good to be true. That by grace, through faith in your son Jesus, you give us victory over sin, Satan, and death. You call us sons and daughters. You tell us how much you love us. You prove your steadfast love to us all the days of our life. And even on that final day, when we breathe our last, you are the next thing we see. You bring us home and we get to be with you forever. So, Father, this week, help us talk to you as Abba, Father. Help us run to your arms as Dad. Help us believe that you're a good, good Father when Satan tempts us to despair. And help us remember that we've been set free. We're children of you. Help us live as the free children of God this week, because we know it will be for our good and for your glory. Do that, Lord. We ask, will you please do that? Abba, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand if you're able and let's sing worship songs to our Abba, Father.